This is the Faculty Focus Live podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Teaching Professor Online Conference. Join us from the comfort of your own home and transform how you teach with nationally recognized teaching and learning presenters. I'm your host, Tierney King, and I'm here to bring you inspiration, energy, and creative strategies that you can utilize in your everyday teaching. The first day of class is filled with emotions. Whether or not you feel confident, calm, and collected doesn't mean your students are feeling the same way. So how do you use the first day to foster a zest for learning? How do you make sure they know you care? How can you decrease their stress that they may be feeling? In today's episode, we'll cover some teacher-tested activities for the first day of class and how you can make slight tweaks to make meaningful strides in relieving student mental health concerns and stress on the first day. By setting the stage on day one, your students will be invested, interested, and ready for your class. To start, Alexia Franzidis explains how she uses trivia and wish lists to make the syllabus a working document. In this program, how can I use the first day to set the tone for a semester of learning? I'm a big fan of trivia, and so one of the big things I like to do on the first day is I get the students to divide themselves up into small groups. And they introduce each other you know, within those groups and they come up with a team name and they then you know, have to do trivia. So I will ask things like, what is the late penalty for handing in an assignment two days late? And they'll you know, have to look through the document or I'll have asked them to read it beforehand and they'll come up with an answer. And then that way we kind of actually work through So it's important for you, if you're going to do that sort of thing, it's important for you as an instructor to really figure out what are those key things that, you know, are important for you within your class that you want the students to know and turn it into like a trivia or a quiz. Um, You can do it individually. You know, you could ask them to do just a quick thing. You could go online, get, you know, go online, get a little quiz set up and get them to do that. Or you could get them to do it actually in class, in pairs or in a group. So depending on your class size, um, you may or may not wish to implement technology. But I found that to be a very successful tool to get the students, you know, actually engaged with it, with the content in the syllabus to remember the things that are important to me as an instructor, um, but also for, for them to kind of get to know each other. Another thing that you can do, which is also fairly interactive, is you can make the syllabus almost a working document. So what I mean by that is your syllabus is kind of broken up into a couple of key things. So the first things you have are sort of your non-negotiables. So you know the the code of ethics for the university, you know, whether that's the student codes that's specified in the handbook, whether it's something that your university has an honor code that the students must obey. You know, those are pretty non-negotiable items. Um, Same thing for prereqs for classes. So you stipulate that right at the beginning. These are the things that, you know, will not change within the class. But grading scale, you know, whether that's set from the university or within a particular program. So you know what those things are. You also tell the students what you're going to give them. So for me as an instructor, I'm always going to come to class and I'm going to be prepared. And I'm going to be creative and think about ways that I can make the content that they need to learn interesting and fun and interactive. I'm also going to be flexible on certain things, or I'm going to be empathetic. So I tell them the things that I'm going to give them throughout the semester. 
I then ask them to think about what are they going to bring to class? What are they going to give me in return? So I'm giving th them things. What are they then going to give me and the class in return? So are they going to be punctual? Are they going to be turning in their assignments in time? Are they going to be respectful towards each other? And so the last thing I do is I get them to think about what are kind of their wish lists. What would they like? Would they like to have a sort of free pass for coming into class one day late? Would they like to have the opportunity to drop the lowest grade in the class in for, for an assignment? Um, or would they like to have the opportunity to have some kind of, you know, bonus activity at the end to replace a low grade? So what I say to them then is, you know, these are things that they may want. These are privileges that they may want. If they give me the things that they say they're going to, if they're going to be respectful to one another, if they're going to be whatever, then they will get these privileges. However, if they don't do what they say they're going to do, then they're not going to have those privileges. In addition to this working document, Franzidis has also found different interactive games to be effective in the introduction process of class. From word sorts to quizzes to list, you can engage your students right away and get to know more about them as individuals. So there are a few, um, there are a few tools out there that you can use. Um, again, a simple internet search will bring up a lot. A couple that I found to be really effective is a true colors word sort. And basically you have a list of words um, that you choose some characteristics and um, the students will decide within each square which one really um, aligns, well, they feel aligns with their personality. And then at the end, they tally it up and it's associated with a color. And that color then has some kind of, you know, personality trait uh, or behavior trait. And so that's a fun thing to do. And again, you know, you can get the students to do it individually and they can then share that um, with the classmates. What I've done before is the students will fill it out and then you'll have sort of like orange and greens and blues or yellows. And then at the end, you'll get all the, all the yellows to kind of go in a group and you'll say, okay, yellows, so do you like to usually do whatever? And so a lot of them will be like, yes, etc. And you say, okay, well then how are you going to work with the oranges in this particular group? So it's kind of a fun, easy thing to do, but it's nice because it also makes it a little bit more reflective um, and is useful for some of those um, sort of like upper level or, um, classes that have some kind of community outreach or community engagement. Um, another one that you can do, um, I know, is Schwartz has a, um, a theory of basic values. Students are presented with a list and they get to sort of pick which ones they align themselves with. And then from there, they get an idea about sort of what their values are um, and, and how that might then impact their viewpoints or their behaviors um, going forward for the rest of the semester. So again, there are a lot of different activities that you can do. Those are just two that I find to be quite effective. I think it's really important when you are doing activities to match them with what it is that you're actually trying to do in the class. Like what is it that's important or what the nature of the class is. So as I mentioned, if you're going to be doing something, if you're doing a class where there's a lot of community engagement or a lot of field work, you might decide to do an activity that really gets a class either involved with talking to one another, something highly interactive, or something that's a little bit more reflective, and then from there, making that interactive. While thinking of activities that you can use on your first day, you can also consider the day-to-day -day strategies that you use to implement on your first day as well. From unanswered questions, to a picture of a moose, 
Lolita Path explains how she uses curiosity triggers to release students' natural zest for better learning. What are some day-to-day -day strategies that you could use to spur student curiosity in, your, in the content that you're teaching? One important strategy would be to frame the day's lesson around a key question. To use the question as a context and a structure that drives all the activities and the sequence that you follow throughout the day. Another would be to employ a curiosity trigger. Uh, for example, the other day I was teaching and I brought in a picture of a moose. And I'm teaching economics. And I showed the picture of the moose to the class and I asked them what it was. And I told them to remember the image of the moose because I have an important question that's going to foster some of our discussion later on in the class. The effect of that is that students started to wonder what does a moose have to do with microeconomics? How is she going to tie this in? Where is this going to lead us? And then when I went back to the picture, I didn't answer the question. And the question was, what is the price of a picture of a moose? What might a seller charge for that product? How would we decide what to charge for that product? And I didn't answer it because an unanswered question is more powerful than the actual answer itself. Students can be pondering this long after they leave the class on a more general basis, thinking about products and services that they deal with every day. Um, and in that, I'm having them think about economic concepts like supply and demand and prices and quantities outside of the class. Um, by emphasizing questions over answers, it allows them to think about other questions and, and drive further learning. Another strategy is to incorporate guessing with immediate feedback. And there are really two purposes um, that are satisfied with this strategy. One, the act of guessing formulates additional connections in the brain. Students, even if they don't know the answer and don't have any other context, the act of formulating a guess starts to create some structure within their brain so that as additional questions and additional bits of content are added, they'll be making these extra connections so that for long-term retrieval and retention and memory, um, they're, they're all going to be enhanced. And the other reason to employ guessing with immediate feedback is that it drives and continues to maintain momentum throughout the entire class. So you ask the question and you have students guess, perhaps you have them discuss their answers, and then you provide a bit of feedback. And then you repeat the process in a way almost hoping that they aren't getting the answer correct to start with so that they've got lots of different things to think about throughout the course of the class period. In addition to engaging activities, your students, more than anything, want to know that you care. So how can you assure them that your course isn't intended to add stress to their lives? How can you intentionally create a course that decreases student stress and make meaningful strides in student mental health? In this program, Rob Eaton explains a four-step process that will lead to a more inclusive teaching approach and relieve student stress. The fact is that things we do can unwittingly make life better or make life worse for our students with mental health challenges. And our proposal here is not to eliminate all the difficulties, but to be more deliberate about the difficulties we do create. I'm a, a believer in desirable difficulties, but as Robert Bjork, who coined the term himself, acknowledges, 
The fact that something's difficult doesn't automatically make it a desirable difficulty. So my co-authors, Steve Hunsaker, Bonnie Moon, and I propose a, a simple formula for intentionality. We suggest doing a cost-benefit analysis, weighing the pedagogical benefits of any course design decision against the mental health impacts on our students. Some of the practices we'll keep, others we'll tweak, and others we'll abandon altogether. It's a simple four-step process. First, we ask, how, uh, how does this particular practice affect my students with mental health challenges? Second, how central is it to the outcomes of my course? Third, is there, are there any good alternatives, things I could do instead? Fourth, is there a way to tweak this man aspect of course design so that it knocks off some of the rough edges? Let me run one particular example through this cost-benefit analysis. When I began researching this subject about three years ago, I sat down with a couple of counselors from my campus's counseling center. I asked them if there were any things that faculty members did that unwittingly exacerbated mental health challenges for students. To my disappointment, they said, yes, oral presentations. <laughs> that stung. I love oral presentations. I required them in different courses that I taught, and I don't teach public speaking or uh, in a discipline that's necessarily preparing people, students to speak publicly a lot. I just like oral presentations. I was trying to get some active learning done, but I, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I hadn't paused to consider how that particular assignment would affect my students with high anxiety or my students with, who are more introverted. Consequently, my decision to keep it in the course had not been especially intentional. If I'd thought about how central that was to the course outcomes, I probably wouldn't have kept it, or I at least would have given students choice. It's a simple alternative. They could do a blog, write a paper, or an oral presentation. Or if I wanted to keep it, maybe I could have them do it in a different way. In fact, some successors to a course I helped create ended up replacing the oral presentation requirement that some colleagues and I had originally put in the course with one where students recorded a video of themselves and posted it online. They discovered when students had multiple chances to record this in the privacy of their own rooms, the quality went up and they weren't even thinking about mental health challenges. It's a simple example of how running something through this cost benefit analysis can lead to changes that reduce stress for our students and boost learning for all of students. Address mental health challenges proactively in the syllabus and telegraph some reasonableness and flexibility. I was surprised that uh, one of the most consistent strains of thought and, and sentiments that ran throughout students in our focus groups was um, how concerned they were about how professors felt about mental health challenges. Almost all of them had had at least one negative experience with a professor who essentially seemed to say, just buck up or to doubt the reality of mental health challenges. Professors who'd been completely unwilling to be flexible in any way. So they were watching us closely to see what we thought. And they knew that if we felt that way, they were toast if they froze up for a week or two in the middle of the semester. By contrast, students who read a provision that I've started putting in my syllabus felt like it was a security blanket. Uh, one of them said when she read it, to me, it makes us still feel like a person. That was a really interesting comment. Um, this meant a lot to her. And frankly, most of my students, including those with mental health challenges, never used this provision and the fl flexibility it provides. But just knowing it's there sent a powerful message to her. Another one said, and she was in my class and never used it. When she read it, she said, it was the most reassuring thing. Oh my goodness, it was crazy good.
So by letting students know that we'll be frankly as flexible as most of our bosses and our working lives have been with us, uh, we can relieve a lot of stress. And in some cases, students who would have just thrown in the towel when they got too far behind, know it's possible to come back and make up the work. Now, I make it clear in these provisions, you're gonna to have to do just as much work as anybody else, but I might be able to be flexible with you. So come and talk to me and do it sooner rather than later. Whether you're driving to work or you just need a 15 minute think session, we hope the Faculty Focus Live podcast will inspire your teaching and offer ideas that you can integrate into your own course. For more information on the resources included in this episode, please check out the links provided in the episode description.